Live Sound Bootcamp, brought to you by Rational Acoustics, developer of SMART, the industry's leading sound system measurement and optimization platform. Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Ryan John with my co-hosts, Brandon Draper and Joe Santarpia. Hello. Hey, yo. Today, we're going to dig into the often argued about topic of playback and playback as the channels that, you know, you pull up in your line check. And maybe we're doing this a little bit out of order because you probably have gone through some other things before you got to this, but maybe you haven't. Uh, but we just thought it was kind of more interesting than some of the other ones we had laid out. So, hey, I'm, I'm being honest with you. Yeah. I guess that is the debate. How important is playback in your set and for the band you're working with? Yeah, I guess it all depends on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. you might not have this at all. So skip it if you don't. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have playback in show, skip this episode. Fast right. forward right to the end. You know, just fast forward so that it looks like we got to play. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Now, at some point in, in your career, if you're actually pursuing audio reasonably professional, you're going to run into this. It's going to be a part of a show that you're going to deal with. It's pretty much inevitable these days, right? For better or for worse, yes. Honestly, I don't hate playback at all. You know, it's it's really easy to kind of hate on it and say, oh, well, the band can't play if they don't have it. Well, but <laughs> it all depends on how it's used. I really dislike when a band leans on it way more than the band. Right. But I think it's it, it's 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 great when tastefully used. Right, yeah. And also, you can use playback to sync up visuals like you wouldn't believe. Because yes. of things like time code and all that, you can get your lighting and your video and your show so, so, so dialed. Yeah. That is the shit. You can sync all that shit with Ableton if you want. And like, I've done that for bands all the time, just lighting cues yeah. all over the place. Yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, it's amazing what you can do nowadays on a pretty, it, relatively inexpensive setup, I feel like, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I know people that, you know, they own their own X32 that they might be using for monitors, but it's also the playback rig. Because the X32 can play from, you know, USB or whatever it may be, or from a computer connected to it, it can also provide the audio interface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting yeah, I guess stuff. We've come a long way since, like, you used to have like two tape machines running simultaneously, clocked. Since Millie Vanilli stage, <laughs> yeah. it was Millie Vanilli, right? I mean, well, yeah, I think they did that, right? But honestly, that's kind of impressive that they could pull that off too. So, you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Didn't didn't they get like a Grammy taken away from them because they oh. were using playback or something? I don't know. Something yeah. like that. And it's unfortunate because now everybody does that and it's just normal. Give them that Grammy back. Yeah. Yeah, they're using them at the Grammys when they perform. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, and if everything I said was incorrect, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure it was them and I'm pretty sure it was a Grammy. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so playback. There are many ways to do this. Joe, do you want to kind of like lay out a few? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's not all like, you know, side, tape machine side, side stage or some big intricate Pro In fact, I'm not sure anyone's doing <laughs> that now. I'm not sure anyone is doing tape no, machines on the stage. Yeah. If they are, I got to go to that show. It's going to sound so analog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it 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 starts from like like a smaller sampler device. You know, you could have like a stereo out from an SPDS or SP404 or something like that that the drummer or keyboard player will have. Um, you know, or, eighth inch out from your laptop. Yeah, straight up. You know, seen that too. Um, or eighth inch out from an iPod. I know people that have done yeah. that where one side is the music. The other side is a click track, and you feed one to you know in ears, one to house, whatever. Yeah, or they're just playing the instrumentals off their phone, straight up. Um, yeah, just holding it up to their microphone. <laughs> yeah, just mic that yeah. shit. Do you, have a, do you have a dongle? Uh, no, I don't. All right, well, we'll put a mic on it. Um, yeah, uh, so that's like the simpler kind of end of it, and then it, you know goes sky's the limit. You know, uh, you could have a Pro Tools rig with however many outputs you know, however many outputs you want. You know, with everything split up and. Um, you know, on its own track. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a Maddie-based playback rig that's 64 outs over Maddie. Jesus. Yeah. It's pretty uh, intense. I'll give, a, I'll give a shout out to that, those like eye connectivity rigs, mm-hmm. you know, that What's have like that? 10 outputs in the back and you can plug 12. two laptops. Is it 12? Play Audio 12. 12. What's Play it called? Audio 12. Eye connectivity? Yeah, eye connectivity makes the current cool interface that everyone uses. Uh, it's yeah. called the Play Audio 12. 12 oh. outputs, you can connect two computers to it. 
Damn. So if one fails, it just jumps right over to the next one. It's pretty awesome. 600 bucks. Um, but, but yeah, you know, what Joe's digging into here is, is that the options are kind of, they, they, they vary vastly from cheap and simple to extraordinarily expensive and everything in between. And I think, I think we should break it really down to like two things, you know, two track versus multi-track, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And the reason we break it down is because you as an engineer treat them, com- well, maybe not completely, but you do treat them very differently in terms of what's coming to you. Right, right. Yeah, like I guess what what do you guys see as like the pros and cons of the two-track? Let's start with the two-track. Pros, simplicity, yep. you know? Simplicity. And like and like you would assume or hope that the, the artist would have done something to kind of uh, make it so that... It, whatever's coming out is like okay you know and already sounds good <laughs> exactly you know and you like very low standards there whatever's coming out is like okay well you know <laughs> some of the shit you hear is is you know it's pretty brutal sometimes but um yeah you'd hope there was mm-hmm. an effort there is all yeah so the part there is simplicity and you know i guess artist has control or whoever built these files has control of what it sounds like yeah mm-hmm. right whereas if you give a multi-track the mix engineer on the other end can kind of do whatever they want with all these things. Right, right. Especially if like you don't know the artist and you're just like, you're working at the club and they're just walking in with it. You know, sometimes it's better to just have it on stereo. Cause it's like, I, I don't, I don't know what's going to be, cause you know, if you give me 12 channels, it's like, I don't know what all this stuff's going to sound like, you know? So yeah. Well, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was going to say like, that can be, a lot to just like dump on someone and and you're like going through and uh, like if you don't know the music really really well having like multi-tracks out of everything it's it's a lot to get in your brain over rehearsals like what's happening on each of those channels over time especially if it's with a band you know if it's just like if, if there's not a band and these are just kind of like the the main tracks you know it's just like a per a solo artist and tracks or something like that like i don't know maybe maybe that could be cool but but um I don't know. Anyway. Well, Sorry. Like let's talk about, let's, let's talk about an ideal scenario, right? Um, if you are a small band, let's say it is a band, not just a single person with, with track, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could give someone stereo, right? you can give them just a stereo feed. So the thing with giving someone a stereo feed is that, yeah, you're in control of the mix and all that, right? You give them something that's, you know, this is all the playback. They can't mess it up. Mm-hmm. But you're also going to want a click track that you can play along to. Right? right. So now you're already at three outputs. Right. There don't tend to be many interfaces that are, you know, three outputs, right? You either get stereo or you kind of jump up to like eight. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's assume you've jumped up to eight. Well, I'm going to use know, them all, damn it. <laughs> well, I guess this is the question, right? Joe, as an engineer, if you've got a band coming to you that you've never heard before, you're only going to get, I don't know, 15 minutes of sound check to get this dialed, and then you got to do a gig. Yeah. What are the eight outputs or less that you're actually going to want to see? Um, you know, uh, I feel like, you know, uh, like synths and stuff like that, like a, a stereo pair for that, for sure. If there's any, like, vocal stuff, you know, sure. Yeah, like a stereo vocal uh, effects or, vocal, or background vocals or something like that. And And then outside of that, just, like, you know, if, if there's a band, you know, less stuff that's that's redundant because of the band. You know, like less. If there's a kick and snare track, and then a drummer who's like playing the same thing, like it's just like I don't really need that unnecessary. That yeah, unless the drummer really sucks, and I'm gonna like take them out of the PA. You know, like I mean, that's <laughs> well, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not not I, something that actually happens. I'm but. gonna say right now, just like don't do that if your drummer can't like play right in time with the kick and snare because right right because it's, it's just sounds terrible. either way it's, it's a mess just all gonna fall apart yeah it's a mess uh but it does sound cool when it, it does work yeah yeah and then like you yeah. know and then obviously like any essential like melodies if there's like a, a you know a, a hook melody on a certain synth or something like that you know that that has to be in the song that no one's playing physically on stage you know obviously right. that stuff so when a band shows up and they go here, Joe, here are my outputs. You're, you're basically kind of breaking it down to you want like, like synths and stuff or whatever, things like that on a stereo pair. Yeah. You want vocals and stuff on a stereo pair. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then what else was it? Like, 
you know, like, yeah, that, that like, you know, hook melody could be on the synth or whatever, if it's a synth. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess maybe a, a pair with drums, if there are drums and, mm-hmm. uh, um, maybe separate percussion if there's percussion too. Um, and then, you know, obviously you're going to click for ears and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think an important thing though, is that, um, it is not helpful as an engineer working on a, a band you don't know mm-hmm. if unexpected stuff is coming down track lines. So if you've got a set of tracks that you've, you, you're, you're sending out to an, an engineer you don't know and it's labeled drums, don't also put your keyboard lead down that, right? And don't kind of switch back and forth. Don't have keys coming out of the BV lines for one song and then out of a different set of lines for another song. It becomes incredibly unpredictable. And from the perspective of an engineer, the only way I can mix the show well is if I know what's coming down the lines. Because if I have to spend, like, even if it's 10 seconds to try and find where it's coming from, I probably missed the thing I was trying to hit. Mm-hmm. Right. Know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, yeah, you would hope everything's yeah. labeled. I was assuming everything's labeled correctly, you know? And like, <laughs> yeah, but half the time it's not, right? Or right. it is most of the time, but then, like, the newer songs that this artist is playing versus the older songs, things are coming just from different places. Right. I, I I do find myself thrown on my headphones a lot in shows where With I don't tracks. know the band that well, and yeah. it's tracks, even if it is just a stereo pair, and it's everything, just because I need to know like what's happening on that thing, and yeah. if it's if I deem it's important in the moment, then to turn it up or down, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll like I'll throw on headphones a lot, or just like have one ear on. A lot of the times, yeah, just because I want to like either know what I'm missing or yeah, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, if, if you're if you're going in the situation, yeah, exa- unknown, exactly. You know, kind of combining two things you were saying and I was saying, like there might be a, a crazy hook line that like is is the song, you know, and yeah. and you know you don't want to miss it, you know, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, if you have the opportunity when you're working with a new artist. Um, Ask him to run playback for a while. In fact, while mm. you're setting up stuff on stage or whatever, let it play. Then you can walk out to front of house, throw on some headphones or monitors or whatever, throw on headphones, and actually listen to what's coming down those lines. Yeah. And maybe kind of, you know, uh, acclimate your ear or whatever to, to the different sounds that are sourced there. So that if you hear something in show, you might go, this is probably coming from this, you know, stereo music playback line or stereo keys playback line or whatever it is. It can be helpful. Um, you know, so in terms of outputs and stuff, I, I tend to be pretty much the same on every gig I do. It's stereo percussion, uh, stereo uh, instruments, you know, mm-hmm. I sometimes called a music bus, sometimes called synth bus, sometimes whatever. Um, if there are lead instruments, things like what you were just mentioning, where like might be a lead synth line, mm-hmm. I like doing that on a separate uh, set of outputs than the other instruments line because if that needs to be bumped really hot in a mix to kind of cut through as a lead it's helpful for that to be separated from the rest of instrumental background stuff yeah yeah uh, background vocals on their own thing if there's ever a lead vocal on a track that should be on its own mono output mm-hmm. um, click i like getting at front of house as well as a uh, channel mostly oh. because i want to see it because then i know when the song's starting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because it'll always start click before the song starts. Right. And I also use it to trigger tap tempos and things like that. Yeah. And also sometimes from front of house, I have to feed my lighting guy a submix for him to be able to cue off of. And maybe his submix has click track in it as well as a full mix. Mm-hmm. So I always actually pin that up. And also then I record it. So if we need to do multi-track stuff later to mm-hmm. mix records or whatever, there's click in there, which makes it really easy for someone to sync things up. Um, I really like having a separate subwoofer out. So things like 808s, sub kicks, and synth bass, things like that, I can put it on a separate output from uh, other tracks. And the reason this ends up becoming valuable is because sometimes I might put like a compressor on the percussion track, or I might put it on something else. But sub stuff often is pretty hot in level, but not necessarily hot in the PA. Right. Right. So that might hit the compressor, but I might not want to pull back the rest of the kind of, I don't know, synthy stuff that's happening, but I really want the sub to kind of push. Mm-hmm. So if I can take that to a separate output, I then have better control. 
-hmm. if you get real deep into this, having separate things like sub out, uh, separate things like lead out, maybe even uh, instead of doing stereo percussion, doing kick and snare as two, two channels. When you do that, then you can use them for side chaining and all sorts of other stuff so that when I have a subby thing coming from playback, I can maybe use that to side chain off my bass guitar and maybe push my bass back or vice versa. You know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and when you're talking sub out, are you talking about like the full range of that instrument that includes sub coming down the yes. channel? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so not actually taking that instrument and like low passing it to subwoofer only type right, frequencies, right, right. but instruments that have really relevant and important sub information I might put to a separate output. Dope. Yeah, it's interesting stuff because especially, you know, sometimes you hit a PA and the balance it has like this big haystack of low end where the low end is really hot. Right. Um, you know, that might work well for kick drums and some other things, but then the moment you put like a sub synth through it and it's at the same level as all your other synths, it's actually just really loud anyway, so maybe you want to pull it back a lot. You yeah, know? totally, totally. If you're on a DB so one night and then a Meyer the next night, you know what I mean? Right. It's, yeah, yeah or, or a Vertec rig the next night, and it doesn't put out anything in that 40 hertz range, right? Damn. Called yeah. out. So, who runs it? Who runs this whole rig? Brendan, I mean, wh what have you seen? I mean, you've got a whole range of people who could be doing this. Uh, a lot of times musicians are running their own playback and I've seen, I guess, mainly drummers because they're seated and they can usually have a little table. They next can't, to they them can't run away from the computer yeah. and since they can't run away from the computer, everyone's <laughs> like, nope, you're the one doing it. Yeah. They're wired to it. They're chained to that thing. They're least likely to uh, knock it over. <laughs> true, true. But uh, they could vibrate it off, you know, if they're, if they're putting it on their drum sub or something like that. I don't That's know. right. Anyways, uh, yeah, <laughs> you could have like, I've seen people like have samplers on the floor, like by their guitar pedals and they'll like trigger them with their feet, mm -hmm. um, which is a way to do it. And you could have a dedicated tech who's like side stage on like bigger acts that is just there to make sure playback is working all the time. Right. And then, I mean, I've, this doesn't happen too often, but I mean, I could run playback from my console if I wanted to. I, and I've seen that. I've seen, seen a few other people do that as well, either from yeah. monitors or from front of house. Yeah, you know? I've seen a monitor person uh, uh, run the playback. Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. seen it happen from monitors more frequently than front of house, but I've seen a lot of artists come in that don't really use playback a lot, but are using playback for something, then come and ask the front of house guy whom they don't know to run playback. Mm. I've seen that happen a lot. And I'm, I'm going to tell you artists that are thinking about doing this now, it's not a great idea. It's not a great <laughs> idea to have the guy, that guy or girl, that is in control of starting and stopping your show uh, 100 feet away from you. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely really had, hard to communicate when things should start and stop. Definitely I've had artists just like roll up and like hand me a USB drive. And it's like, you, you have assumed that I have a computer here to play these off of. And they assume correctly, but that's bad reinforcement because it's not like the case. <laughs> Reinforcing bad behavior. Yeah, right there, yeah. Joe. Yeah. They assume, fortunately, very correctly. But, you know, in general, it's not a safe assumption to make. And also it's, you know, you're, I also find that usually... Uh, the people that do that, their entire show is playback. It's playback yeah, plus maybe usually. a vocal, right? Yeah. Are you really going to trust your entire show to somebody that far away from you? And the other thing is that if something goes wrong with it, whose responsibility is it? Right. Because it's kind of you as an artist for not taking the responsibility on yourself anyways. I guess just here's handing the it off to someone else and expecting them to do it. Right. And if you, have, as the engineer, accept that, USB drive. You have accepted that then responsibility. Your, you accept yeah. the responsibility, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of. yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you said you're going to do it. What are you going to do? Say no? Like, no. Yes. And then, and then <laughs> right. I mean, right. that's what I'm saying. If you don't feel comfortable accepting the responsibility, then just say no. Yeah. And then they, and then the artist doesn't play. Well, no, 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 no. So I've 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 had people do that before. Yeah. And they've handed me a USB key. I and I've I've made it very clear that like, yes, it's possible for me to do it, but if something goes wrong, I can't fix it. And if you need it to be kind of a tightly timed thing where you're right when you walk out, it rolls or this or that, I might not be able to see you. Maybe lighting's going to be dim. Maybe this, maybe that. There's a million other things that could be happening. Yeah. Wherein if you put that on me, uh, I, I, can't, I can't guarantee you it's going to work perfectly. But you have a laptop with you. 
and it has a headphone out and I have a DI box that can take that. <laughs> yeah, so and that's all I need to say. And they're like, uh, uh, okay. So put it on stage if you can, I think is the, I guess. Yeah. Know, a, a couple people I've, I've kind of said this to, they've, you know, ended up putting it at monitor world and they press the space bar before they walk out. There you go. So they press space bar, they walk out. And if something, you know, catastrophic happens, at least it's not that far from them. Yeah. And they can, and they can run over and scramble and they can sort it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, another thing to kind of point out when we talk about musicians or artists running it themselves versus dedicated playback engineers is that as a mix engineer, it's a lot more complicated and harder to ask a musician or an artist to make changes in playback because they have a lot of other things they need to sort out, right? They've, mm. they've got to get their instrument put together, sound checks, all these other things. If you have a dedicated playback engineer, myself as a front of house guy, I could say, hey, you know, there's this, this cowbell thing that happens in this song. Can you turn that down? Can you turn it up? Can you edit off this last little thing? And they can do that because their focus is just doing playback and sorting out all those things. If I'm asking the drummer, well, the drummer's got a million other things to do. They got a whole drum kit to put together. Yeah. It's like 90 pieces. It takes I like two hours. Yeah, yeah I, th I, I would say probably like the best case scenario I've experienced is having the keyboard player be the playback person. You know, if if it's someone in the band, because they the, at least with this band I'm thinking of, the keyboard players running synths out of an Ableton rig, so it's right there in front of him. Yeah, he can just reach down and adjust gain levels on like a clip or something like that. You know, he's like already in that world. So let's let's get back into this whole channel by channel thing. Let's let's now go beyond what's happening on stage and how they're feeding it to you. But let's talk about receiving it as an engineer. So, you know, first question is always like what are you looking for? Uh Joe, you want to dig into it? Yeah, you know, uh it's it it's very much depends on the context and you know, we always say this of course, but it is what it is. Um, is it like is it the whole show? Is the whole show tracks? Is it just like a little salt and pepper for the band, you know, or in anything in between? So yeah, uh, that that kind of dictates how you treat it and if you're getting if you're trying to get stuff out of the way of it or vice versa. Um one thing that really bugs me sometimes with playback is it's kind of hard to articulate, but there's this like there's like this karaoke vibe that happens sometimes if like the playback is not pocketed well with if there's a band or I don't know, and then you just have this person up there and it just looks like they're doing fucking karaoke and I just hate that. And um it's important to you know, I I think I think people I don't I don't know. I think it's it's this thing where like it doesn't feel natural anymore. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't feel like it's actually the sounds coming from stage anymore, and it feels like it's a CD playing, yeah. and someone's just jumping up and down, right? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's the show. Sometimes though, that's the know? show. Sometimes <laughs> that's, that's the show. Sometimes it is. That, that's but a conversation not... to have, though, right? Like yeah. you, you chat with the artist, go, okay, we've got playback. You know, do we want to lean heavily on that, or do we want to lean heavily on the band? Is there specific songs where you want to lean heavily on playback versus band? Um, are there songs in the set where there's no playback? Yeah. Because that is an incredibly relevant question. Because if you build your stuff to sound great with the playback, and then when playback's not there, it sounds empty and it's weak. Totally, yeah, it's gone. Yeah. You, you need to be, you know, you need to be on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. What are you looking for? Figure it out. Right. So if, if the answer from your artist is, uh, you know, we want this to be playback heavy, then what you're going to do is make sure the playback sounds good. Make sure elements in the live performance fit in underneath or around that. And you'll also probably lean more towards making your live elements sound like the playback versus making the playback sound like live elements. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And if the answer is the opposite, like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're definitely a band and we just want this to kind of like fill in the extra stuff, then you just prioritize differently. You make sure the band sounds awesome and then use the playback to fill in that empty space and just kind of tuck in under it, you know? And it's not necessarily a level thing of it being quieter. It's like a level plus frequency plus everything else of it yeah. being lower priority right. than or the actual live instruments. Being able to make sacrifices on the playback side, right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And hopefully a band has actually built their playback session to sound like these things. You know, if they say we want, we want it to be full live band, but you know, kind of tuck in playback and then you hear the playback and it is a full frequency, massive giant mix on its own. That's kind of hard to deal with because yeah. you're trying to make it fit underneath. Honestly, when you do that, you end up just pull, pulling the fader down a bunch. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Or just, yeah. Or making, you know, uh, cuts, you know, certain places. I don't know. Right. So, okay. W what about other expectations there are to kind of be aware of? I, I know that I, I work with, um, some artists who've had 10 plus year careers of albums, right? And mm -hmm. the albums from 10 years ago sound very different than the albums of today. Yeah. And yeah. since the playback stems are made from the album stems, the playback stems sound completely different. Right. Right. So, you know, through, through the course of a show, uh, we might go from something that has like more of a nineties rock feel. That's, you know, quite sparse to something that sounds like super modern pop and it's super dense. Yeah. And like, it's, it's cool to go on that journey where the tones are different, but at the same time you might do in your set list, modern song, old song, modern song, and you want them all to feel similar. Maybe because that's just the kind of the section of the set where it's hit, 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 you know? Yeah. It might, it might feel a little more drastic than you kind of like want you know, of a difference. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I, I, I guess if you were to play your set kind of, uh, in order of when the albums came out, then it would work. You, you know, you got this, the, the, the less intense, maybe stuff sounding stuff, you know, earlier in the set. And then you get to the more and more intense stuff. Right. Is, wow. Uh, is that, is that indicative of like just how the loudness war and just how music has totally. gotten progress? Yeah. <laughs> yeah cool. It totally is. I mean, you know, it's, it's not even that like some of the older records should sound smaller because maybe, maybe a band was more aggressive then or like, you know, tonally into more things. What if they like got the bug and did one of those like vintage sounding records? Like it, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, in I the guess middle it's all of it part somewhere. of the conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. You can hear that in great shows. Like I've seen a band do an album from, like their full album from like 2004, and it sounded like, like that. And then they went and did all their modern stuff, and like the sound evolved over the show. This is like, you know, I, I, lo I love that kind of stuff. So good. Yeah. But I, I guess the, the real the the takeaway from this is to be aware of the fact that playback from older albums will sound different than playback from newer albums and also yeah. playback from things that are supposed to sound vintage will sound different right like mm -hmm. so you're going to get a lot of different sounding things potentially down this same set of lines mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that can be a bit of a challenge to deal with totally uh, how do you i mean i guess is the conversation you have like do you want it to be more consistent or is it like okay to be totally different you know across the the older songs well, like, well i think that's what you're saying you know they're like yeah you want there there's going to be some difference but just maybe sometimes it might be more drastic than you you know want to let on and just for the sake of like not having a song where they're like oh this one sounds like shit or this one's you know because it's not you know as bright as the last one or something like that um you know you just kind of want to keep it a little more even and you know this this might be a little bit controversial right but there are a couple things that i believe you as an engineer should take away from your artist when i say take away i mean you know don't give them the control on a few of these things right mm -hmm. and some of those are like if i were to ask an artist you know do i want the old record stuff to sound like the old record do i want the new record stuff to sound like the new record usually the answer is going to be yes to both of those right right and that's they're not wrong they're totally right cool but at the same time, if I've got a set list that has got, you know, and the, let's, let's assume these are three driving pop songs in a row, right? But one of them came from the record in 2020, which from playback standpoint has these big sounding drums behind things and like these sub synths and all this other stuff. Then the second song is from a record from 1996. There's probably not sub synths in there. There's probably not massive sounding drum samples. Uh, you know, maybe it's got tambos, shakers, other synths, a bunch of other stuff. And then we go right back to something from 2021 single. Me bringing the listener on a journey there, I don't want it to be big, small, big. You know, mm. even if the artist says, yes, I want that middle song to sound like that middle record. At the end of the day, I don't actually think that that's the journey the listener should be brought on in that moment where you have a scenario like that. And that's where... I'm, I guess that's where I'm saying that like your judgment as an engineer 
should be related to taking the listener on a journey from start to finish in a show. And sometimes that means doing things a little bit differently than maybe was originally requested in order to deliver the whole thing. Does that make sense? Damn, getting philosophical. I like it. <laughs> I feel so, like no, it's been a while good. since we've gotten philosophical. That was though, good. Right? That, yeah, I, I was just in awe as you were breaking that down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what about the tools we have to do that? Um, you know, uh, you had mentioned before, the, the loudness wars is a thing. It's yeah. a real thing. It's happened over time. But another thing that's changed between older albums and, and stuff to now is that the source sounds for instruments are presenting as like pretty much pre-processed sounds, right? You can open up a bunch of uh, uh, virtual instruments and stuff that have fully produced, fully mixed sounds coming out of them right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, 15 years ago, the Rhodes just sounds like a Rhodes plugged into a DI. Yeah. And it doesn't have that big roundness to it. And that might be what you want. That might be what they wanted then. But it was just a lot harder to achieve. But like the difference is that now a lot of these source sounds are pretty much finished. You know, some of these source drum samples, they sound like the finished mastered album. Yeah. The, I mean, the joke is and like the assumption is that if you're getting tracks, they're going to be slammed, I guess. Is that what you're? <laughs> yeah. What you're, yeah. And it's, it's not even a joke. It's, it's kind of a general truth of it, you know. And yeah. even if those tracks didn't go through a mastering limiter before they got to you, they tend to have a sound that feels more mastered because yeah. the sources may have been closer to kind of final sound type sources yeah. versus some of the stuff you might have gotten 15 years ago. Right. So off the tape machine, how do we deal with it? So, I mean, it's probably easier to attempt to pump up the older ones. Right. Is that usually, I mean, usually, like, yeah. 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 You don't want to, you don't want to like make, make something sound worse to, put it on par with the shittier sounding one i don't know right right and what that usually means is you basically take some of those older songs and just kind of master them right you kind right. of like put your own little mastering type spin on it you know process it pretty heavily till it sounds like a record but then we get back to that same problem we were talking about before is that you've got old songs new songs whatever typically coming down the same set of lines so you end up landing in this spot of like, okay, well, I need to now make snapshots for the old songs versus the new songs, and they need to be processed completely differently. It's Maybe, tough. It, probably. That's, that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot to manage, you know? It and, is a lot yeah. to manage. Yeah. And honestly, you're not going to do that with a band you're only doing one show for that you've only met once and had 15 minutes of sound check. You, you can't do that. Totally. You don't, yeah. you don't have the ability or option, really. Yeah. Okay. Should we step back a minute? And talk about expectations, uh, because these sounds go to many different places, right? And they kind of get treated differently in different places, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, yeah, i.e., uh, IEMs or like you know, on stage and in front of house. So like, you kind of have to, yeah, pick pick one to like gear the tracks toward if you're like setting them up. You know, you you. You have to choose who's going to be doing more of the work, engineer-wise. Um, well, are you talking about like if it's? Are you talking about like if you have a monitor engineer and a front of house engineer at the same time, or are you talking about like the situation where you don't have a monitor engineer and you're getting the same? I guess tracks going to. Bolt? I guess either. You know, if you don't have a monitor engineer and there's no one there to like operate and and make changes like that, then you probably are going to set the tracks up to you know to be consistent in the ears or consistently what you need in the well, ears well let's let's step back one step beyond that first yeah what is the difference between in ears and front of house from the perspective of what's coming from playback it's kind of it kind of goes it, along with the same just as the concept in general of like monitors for front of house you know it's it's a more utilitarian mix of like things that are are necessary to to play the song rather than like you know to feel full or big i mean you know there's some of that too but you know like uh they might need a shitload of click in the ears or uh you know a shitload of uh this drum or hi-hat or even or something like that um which is not you know you don't want any click in front of the house or you know. yeah Sorry, i just well, fell off a cliff well, there uh, I was just making a face at you going, hmm, is he yeah. looking at me when he goes, you don't want any click in front of house? And, well, I do. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. I, you don't I, want it in, the, in the front of house PA. How about that? There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, so 
I guess the implication there, right, is that in front of house, you want a full mix. You want pretty much all the playback, and it's all going to be, if, if, if well done, theoretically, you can pull all your playback faders up to Unity with the same gain settings, and it should be a good mix. That's how playback realistically is typically built. Right. Right? I was about to say should be built, but that's that's kind mm. of, that's part of this conversation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you pull up all your faders, put them in Unity, you should have a pretty good mix, right? But to your point, in in-ears, that's not necessarily the most useful thing to have all the time. Now, it is very often the expectation of a musician that it is going to sound like a record, right? But that sub-synth probably doesn't have much value in in-ears, right? You're not, the, these little drivers in your ears aren't going to recreate much of it. And, and if it doesn't have a bunch of harmonics above it, that's not going to be helpful for pitch reference or whatnot. Yeah. So maybe in ears you you pull that down or sorry go ahead Brendan or floor wedges too you're probably not gonna right you know yeah true, true so yeah. so realistically in in your monitoring scenarios you want to put in the most useful stuff for that player so if it's drummer yeah sure give them a bunch of the percussion elements but maybe they don't need a bunch of BVs you know you can pull that back so that there's space for other things uh, give them a bunch of click track right we're obviously not putting that in front of house. Uh, so those mixes aren't necessarily going to be every playback fader at Unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and each musician might have different set of requirements. Yeah. But at front of house, you are very likely to have a lot of those faders damn near even. Mm-hmm. This, this whole front of house versus monitors thing could very well inform like the decision that we were talking about earlier of like what tracks to have and like how to split them up if they're going to be split up mm-hmm. right right and you know to joe's point earlier um i forgot what i was going to say so uh <laughs> pretend i didn't say that at all fair enough other things you could run into with the in-ear situation is uh lead singers wanting more of the melodic elements in their ears right so you so they can stay on pitch right yeah so, right if you ha- if you have the ability to separate background vocal, I think that's why background vocals are an important one. Right. It's one of the first ones to separate out, right? Because then they can like listen to those backups and like and be- sing along with the backups. Sing along, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or if there's vocal effects, you know, in from the from the mixes in there, things too. you're just I- used to hearing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are super important. So, so, so actually, now I remember what I was going to say. Back to Joe's point, though. Okay, so we've got a front of house mix that tends to, for the most part, be the faders from all the playback reasonably around Unity. Mm. We've got in-ear mixes where the faders are kind of all over the place. The levels are all over the place depending on the musician you're presenting the sound to, right? So then, at front of house, if I go, you know what, in this one song, the BVs are just way too hot in the pre-chorus. Do I do that on my side, and do I pull down that fader, or do we have playback make the change? And I feel like this is a question that comes up a lot, and I also think that a lot of engineers are afraid to ask playback engineers to make changes like that. Or if it's not even a playback engineer, maybe it's a musician in the band. I feel like people are generally afraid to ask for those changes. Mm-hmm. Um Go ahead, Joe. I would ask probably the band and like the and the monitoring situation, like like. You all, do you all feel that it's a little hot there? Like, could it come down for you too? Because you know, like we're saying, if if they need it, if they need it blasting, which I don't know, that particular scenario isn't, sounds kind of weird for them to. Need I, it, I mean, but, but I've run into that particular right, scenario right. many times, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But but you're right, though. I think the answer is if everyone says it needs to be down in that section, Bring it down. then when playback takes it down, it goes down to monitors and it goes down to front of house, right? Yeah. So that's helpful. But if me as a front of house guy say, I want it less there, and everyone else is like, no, 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 the level's perfect where it is, then I think it's on me to do yeah. it in my own yeah. you know, console. Yeah. Either do it with automation, you know, using a snapshot, or just manually remember to do that move. Brendan, yeah. were you about to say something there? Uh, no, I was going to agree with that. Like, it, it just gets tricky, you know, like during rehearsals people start making all these or like rehearsals might be like totally fine especially if you're like not working with a monitor engineer and you're self-monitoring and all that stuff but then you go to the show right and you're sound checking you can just run into so many like wanting to make level changes and that is like 
That is a question that I'm kind of, I'm kind of like wrestling with, I guess, is like when to make those changes and, and who, who is the best one to make those changes in the moment. I feel like usually when I go to soundcheck in a situation like that, I ended up changing them for people's in-ear mixes, like to adjust for the room. Well, I don't know if you guys do the same thing. I, th- too, I think the important thing to remember is that any changes you make on the playback side affect everybody that's hearing it. Yeah. Everybody. So if front of house goes up to the playback guy and goes, Hey, you know, in this part, I want to turn, you know, this part down without consulting monitoring and without consulting anyone else, you've now fucked everybody else right, by sure. making a change that then affects everyone else. Yeah. And I'll be honest, like, I have definitely done that before. I've learned to not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. But very often, and this goes to exactly what you were just saying, Brendan, when you're in rehearsal, right? You'll be in rehearsal and you'll be kind of dialing some things in. And then one person will walk over to playback and ask for a change. And it affects everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that actually happens pretty regularly. Yeah. So I've since then learned to kind of not ignore playback, but ignore playback from a level perspective for the first whole half of rehearsal. So if it's, you know, a multi, multi-day rehearsal, I just assume the first two days are kind of, you know, yes, the sounds are probably going to be roughly the same, but the levels are, I can ignore them. Mm-hmm. And then the next two days, be like, cool, now I'm going to make sure everything gets dialed in. Because I just kind of assume people will make those changes. And they do. Yeah. Yeah, man. So what about connecting this whole thing up? I mean, do you guys always use DI boxes? Do you use XLR outs? Like, you know, most of the interfaces, I believe, are, you know, quarter-inch outputs, right? I mean, most of the ones you run into on, on you know, yeah. your average scale, that is. Yeah, DI, yeah, DI is a way to go. You want, you want to chuck a transformer between, you know, uh, whatever someone's bringing in in your PA system as just like a general rule of thumb. Basically, you know? some sort of line isolation. Exactly. Something yeah. where you can lift a ground or whatever and all yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a band carrying a rig, would you suggest that the band carries DIs or not? If it's a lot of outputs, you know, if you're if you get if you're past stereo outputs, then I would say yeah. If you're doing eight, you know, if there's eight, you can't assume a venue is going to have eight DIs free. You know, God and, forbid and that's, that's not including things like the keyboards you actually have yeah, on stage or bass, SPDs or bass know, or any of these it, other yeah. things, acoustic guitars. Yeah. Yeah. So once once you're past stereo, you should probably bring your own DIs. Hey, here, here's a real question: What do you think is the max number of DIs you can reasonably ask for and expect to get them every time? On like I don't know, let's say mid level, thousand seats and under. A total, a, a f- the full show, full your show, your whole show, your whole show. Are you the headliner or support? It doesn't matter. I mean, it does. Well, well, yeah, yeah, fair, but I mean, what what is the most you'd put on a list? Four to five, and expect that you'd get them. Okay, four to five. Four Brandon, to five. you feel was, about the same? I was gonna say between four to six, just to play it safe. Yeah, that's what I'd say too. Yeah. So and and honestly. That's headliner or not, in my opinion. If you're not headliner, you might be able to expect even less than that. Yeah, I prefer to expect zero. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, just bring on. Yeah, bring on. I expect nothing. I should, like, I can't tell you how many times I've showed up and they're like, "Oh yeah, like we don't, we've got one or something like that," or like fucking mic stands too. Sometimes. Oh man, like, mic oh, stands. Fuck. The amount of the amount of gaff tape I've seen holding these things together. <laughs> All right, but let's get back on topic, though. So yeah. if you're carrying a rig that has eight outputs, 12 outputs, it you is bring- in your best interest to carry you some better. sort of DI system. Yeah, better. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that different DIs put out audio at different levels. Yeah, passives, so you, actives, even between actives, they're all different. Right. That's a whole other. Re- that's a. That's even more of a reason. If you got eight outputs that are you're yeah. used to being, you know, around the same level, then you know, having fucking four different types of DIs on them, that's going to be a little funky. Yeah. You know. I, yeah. I think expecting the venue to have four DIs, that's pretty safe. But expecting them to have for four the of same, the exact same ones, yeah. yeah, not so safe. That are in the same yeah. like condition, general condition. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah. And and you know, this is also of course relevant to the size of the venue. Um, you know, the, whether you're the headliner or not, all these things do matter. Obviously, bigger venues tend to have more stuff, smaller venues tend to have less. You know, just be aware, but if you're going to do a playback rig with a bunch of outputs, it's in your best interest to carry uh at least some manner by which you can convert it to XLR because that's pretty much what's going to what's going to make this work. Yeah. Totally. Um, you guys, go ahead. 
No, no, go for it. You want to jump into processing? Yeah. So, do you guys EQ your playback tracks much? Yes. Brendan? I do sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. Me too. Depends. Me too. So don't be afraid of EQing your playback tracks. Right. (laughs) I'll be honest, I actually think most of the time I'm just shelving off top end, and then there's a little bit of other funny stuff that happens inside of it. Yeah, yeah, Mm. shelving off or boosting, you know, to kind of like make up the differences for what we were saying, you know, the, the... you know differences in vibes of the tracks or something like that that's right. kind of the zone where you will probably feel it most that and you know sub and stuff obviously but. well yeah because yeah. because a lot of playback will have like a bunch of content in the 10k 12k area stuff yeah. that you can get in studio that you might not be able to really execute live so yeah. there's a lot of that like really top top end in there pretty regularly so sometimes i want to take that away to get yeah. rid of that potential like um what did, you, what did you call it karaoke vibe yeah where it just it feels fake. too crispy and sounds fake yeah so yeah. taking away some of that ultra ultra top might not sound as hi-fi but it actually sounds more real in the context of what you're you know seeing totally yeah totally i like to pump the a shelf up on the sub content too sometimes you know like when choruses hit boom and they do have a giant like synth bass but like you know, you can just like shelve that up real quick and like make it really impactful. Yeah, so that's yeah. totally um, dynamics. I imagine you guys all tend to put kind of safety limiters, if you will, on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like we said, like a lot of times they're coming out of the gate pretty, pretty squashed and and, and loud. But uh, it's you never know, and so it's nice to have that safety to catch shit. Yeah, if it just goes either, nuts. E- either the safety or like if it the opposite where it's coming out really raw and there is a lot of difference between levels yeah. than squashing it yourself right. <laughs> to like help with it. Or if the drums are like not that punchy, then like punching them up, giving it a bit of punch through compression. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, just, just to what you just said, Brendan, sometimes if I've got older tracks that are more dynamic and you know, like what we were talking about before, where I wanted to feel more mastered on those, mm-hmm. I might have a plugin that inserts on, that kind of gives it that mastering limiting type feel. So it might just be a mastering limiter and maybe a slight boost of top end to make it feel like a modern kind of slammedy thing. And then when you go back slammed to the modern it. songs, you just bypass that. Yeah. So so dynamics for me ideally are only there for kind of changing the tone, but realistically they're there as a safety because I, I'm not always sure what's coming from playback if it's a new artist I haven't worked with before and I need to make sure we don't blow out everyone's ears. <laughs> I think you just coined Slamdy. Slamdy? Yeah. Okay. Slamdy. Yeah, I, like, I will continue to use that as a term. I'm into it. very sick. Yeah, yeah, I want that Slamdy feel, bro. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, said it. I was like, whoa. Cool. Slamdy. Yeah. All right. So speaking of Slamdy, what about dynamic EQs? super useful for 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 playback i feel like you know Mm -hmm. yeah really just to get consistency you know without having to you know uh you can put in bands essentially to do things only when needed you know right um are there any any particular elements that like you typically end up with dynamic eq because of because i I have a few that i'm like yep every time that happens i pretty much want a dynamic eq Uh, i'm I'm not sure off the top of my head it's it's always things like claps claps snaps and and like some of those things that tend to be a little bit Actually, harsh yeah like a like uh claves like wood block yeah. things if they're like you know if it's a lead if it's like a you know a, a what do you call it a hook in the song or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I find that very often i want to take off some of the bite from those things so i often have a dynamic eq that's focused in that like two to five k range yeah pretty fast and it just kind of like pulls that down one or two db maybe even more than that but it all kind of depends on the source totally uh you, you know you can kind of control subby stuff you know mm-hmm. uh if if there's a big difference in that across your playback you can like squash the low end and then boost it a little bit so it's all kind of a little bit more consistent and sometimes i do the same thing with background vocals just to get it out of the way of the lead vocal i mm-hmm. might have a little bit of the low mid and all that kind of a little bit dynamic eq squished totally yeah maybe side chain you know yep yeah, I mean, that is the kind of thing I'd dig into. I'd have the lead vocal yeah. sidechain into the background vocals to kind of tuck them, you know, du- duck them down so that when yeah. when there's only background vocal, they might feel nice and big. But when the lead vocal's singing on top of it, it pushes the BVs out of the way a little yeah. bit. It helps with like, with, like, groups that are, like, walls of playback synths and guitar stuff, too. You know, if, they, if they're... Especially, like, you know, if you do some like dark electronic stuff you know where the vocal is supposed to be like ethereal and like light 
but then you also have this wall of synths kind of dipping that eq when the vocal comes in yeah can keep it full without like bringing everything down that, that's, yeah. that's that's a good point to bring up just for eq in general you know with with this kind of stuff yeah with like walls of of loud shit you know if you're if you're having trouble and it's bearing your vocal just like just dip a little bit of the vocal range out of that stuff yeah that is totally a thing you could do with eq just to get yeah. it out of the way i mean yeah. no question no question that's a thing that you can do dynamic eq is just a fancier way to kind of dig into it right yeah, exactly. And, and and just to make it really clear, the value of dynamic EQ there is because you need it to be dynamic. You need it to sometimes be there and sometimes not. Exactly. If it always has some stuff that you don't like, just take it out with an EQ. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, beyond those tools, there is a few other things, you know. I mean, you can send some of these things to effects. Usually you don't need to. Right. You're usually um, effective, yeah. You can use groups, but you're not going to use them in any different way than you would with any other instrument thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can be nice and easy to have a group or a VCA that has all your playback so you can mute it easily. Uh, but other than that, I think automation is kind of like the bread and butter of like dealing with playback, right? Yeah. When I say automation, I mean things like snapshots. Yeah. So I think we've already kind of dug into it a bit now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Anything else you think we need to add? I think we've played out playback. Badoom. You know, okay, so just to go all the way back to the start, when I dial playback, I do ask someone to just hit play on the thing and find a spot in the song where everything is playing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll kind of gain up to a spot where, you know, it's a reasonable level but not at risk of clipping. And I will gain all the playback exactly the same. Then I'll push up the faders. And if it feels like this is a reasonable mix, I'm going to leave it there. Yeah. And then we're going to kind of work on it from there. But if it feels like it's all way off, I might trim something up or down. But for the most part, I have to assume that what they're giving me is close to what they want. So like as a workflow... I gain them all the same and then push them all up and, and theoretically that should be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great place to start. You guys also do kind of the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I always start with them equal and if there's anything glaringly wrong with the levels, then I'll probably ask the playback person, you know, <laughs> and hopefully we can like jump through a bunch of the songs, you know, yeah. so that we can see, if in those you know if you're in rehearsals you could jump through to the different like choruses or something like that and just like make sure that it's consistent all right man i think we hit it all if you have any questions about you know how to get playback dialed in and how to line it into a show you know send them to our email if we did miss anything that you guys really wanted to hear about you know especially on this episode or any past ones just uh yeah, you can send us an email, feedback at livesoundbootcamp.com. And uh, our website is back up. It was down for a little bit, but uh, livesoundbootcamp.com is live. Uh, you can listen to the episodes there and you can get in touch. I'm going to it right now. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Thanks again to our sponsor, Rational Acoustics. Visit www.rationalacoustics.com for information on sales, training, and all things system measurement.